0: Our scripture for today is from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 12. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent the night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, to whom he also named the apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, We've been doing this. This is just a quick two-week series called Better Together. Next week, we're going to jump into what I would call more of a teaching series. This has sort of been gathering us um, in the right direction. Next week, we're going to— talk talk about a series called When You Believe in God, But... And we're going to talk about a couple of the buts that we tend to put at the end of that sentence. It's like, yeah, I believe, but, you know, come on. So we should be able to dig into that, and I think that'll be really helpful for all those people who have that list. Um, And I have that list, too, when you believe in God, but... And my actions tend to look a little bit different, um, especially when the Vikings are losing, uh, which is just reality right now. And you need to know that as a Vikings fan, I've been having viking fan losing visions all day because i don't want to be crushed at the end of the day somehow they will get my hopes up at some point this season so that they can stomp on them i don't know how they'll do it but they all okay post-traumatic sports disorder that's what i refer to it as so um but we all have teams that we love and so we're going to talk a little bit about teams and i thought to myself uh we love to be part of groups and so i put this up here um this little picture is important to let you know that we all have teams or groups that we like to be a part of. Some, here's how I know this. Right now, some of you, the first thing you looked at when you saw up there is you looked, did he miss my team? And some of you, I did it on purpose. Sorry. <laughs> groups have powerful sway on us. The amazing part of this picture is this there is not a single word anywhere on that picture. And yet, half to more than half of you can name all but one of the pictures that are up there, because I put my alma mater, Drake University, up there, and nobody knows because they're terrible at sports. So nobody has any idea what that logo is unless your kid got lots of letters, come to Drake, come to Drake, come to Drake. Um, Go Bulldogs. Anyway. Anyway one year we went to the basketball tournament. See, sports jokes. Here we go. Um, and, and, and so what it is is that we tend to get excited um, because we're looking to see, are we excited about the team that we're a part of? We can look at things like this, and we connect to them immediately without words or without anything. Groups are a big deal. And if you don't believe me, I need to tell you that groups are a big deal here— Before the Wednesday service, I put some stats together that I thought would be really helpful, Um, but I wanted to share them with you, and here it goes. Uh, We have people who are part of groups here. Of the members of this church, 60% of our kids are in a group. Some of you joined, signed your kids up for a group without knowing. Today, Kids Connect is a small group ministry for kids. They all just meet in one place at one time, but they'll have small group leaders and people who will invest in them. And so, of the members, sixty percent. Now, there's some shakedown because there's people who are non-members who are part of groups, and there are people who are members who aren't, and all that. But that's the number. Seventy-nine percent of our middle schoolers are part of a student connect group somewhere. In the deep recesses of your mind, the Lutheran Church did something to you that said, when your kids get to confirmation, bring them to church or else. You know, right? Some of you have felt that. You're like, oh no, sixth grade, let's go. We got to get our kids in and a part of this group. And that's what we do. So Student Connect, we have a huge number of people who are a part of Student Connect groups um, as a percentage. Youth Connect, uh, we have almost 40% of our Youth Connectors who are a part of a group. And then there's the grown-ups. Oh, grown-ups. And there's a lot of reasons for this. And that's okay. I need to tell you this. It's okay. But I want to tell you why I believe the title of this sermon applies. It's not just that your kids need a group. You need a group. Because the real heres the reality. We know people need groups. We're just not sure we need them. We know people need groups. We're just not sure we need them. I see it. Why is that? Why is it that we think to ourselves, you know, our kids need some church, and let's—there you go. And our middle schoolers— yeah, you know, come on, let's go right now because some of you are raising middle schoolers. Some of you are middle schoolers and some of you are raising middle schoolers and you're kind of looking at each other awkwardly right now and I just need you to know everybody feels a little bit like, oh, okay, mom and dad, kids, it's just kind of stressful in that season. I was that way as a kid. I was that way the last time I had a middle schooler. I'm pretty sure it's going to feel that way again the next time I have a middle schooler in my house. We kind of look at him and we go, okay, you need this group, but, but when it comes to me, we're going, I'm good. And there are some barriers to us getting involved in groups, but I think the biggest one is this. We don't know why. We know that groups are important, and we send our kids because we feel like church is going to be a good influence, and we know they're going to teach them that commandment about honor your father and honor your mother, and we're waiting for that one. Um, Let's go, you know, come on, let's do that. But really, why Why is it that we want to be involved in groups, and why do churches all across the country, and this one in particular, talk about groups being so important? Why do you need a group? And so I want to give you three reasons. Here's the first one that's up on the screen. You need a group because groups are where you feel important. This is a church— that by all accounts has about 1,100 members or 1,100 people who are involved on a regular basis, and that number may have grown by 30 or 40 today because we're meeting new families who are excited for their kids to be, ironically, involved in a group. Um, And so this is a big place. When I went to—I went to pastoral care class. You didn't know this, but pastors have to go to class to care for people because some people are naturally good at caring for people, and some people like me learned how to do that, like to show up and, and be empathetic and things like that. If you're really good at naturally caring for people, you're my favorite people in the world because I tend to forget that there are people in the way of my plans. And so you have to stop me and slow me down and say, Pastor Bob, people. Love them. And I'm like, yes, Jesus said that. I should do that. But we learned in pastoral care class that you can have a pretty solid, developing, caring relationship with about 150 people in your life, which means that if the only people I cared about in my life were my wife, my kids, my parents, I would have about 140 spots left for people in this church. Now, I can care for you in a way, you know, like I love you and I want the best for you and I know your name and I know where you work. But to actually show up and be like, I knew that this family dynamic is going on and I have a pretty good idea that when I see this emotion in them, something is happening. That's not possible for us to do in a big church. And one of the biggest complaints that I, I will hear about people in churches, not this church, but just churches in general, is I went to that church and I felt like nobody knew me. I felt like a number. It was so busy and we were sort of packed in and it felt a little bit chaotic and nobody really knew me. And here's the thing. Churches operate kind of on a bigger scale at this point in time. People have more program expectations and less like we're going to ride our sleigh to the church where 40 people all their farms around us are going to be a church together. Once upon a time, church was the biggest social event of the week. I live in Fargo. The reality is church was not the biggest social event of the last 24 hours. That was called tailgating, and it happened yesterday, right? You kind of know this. You're, you're here. You were a part of that. You, you know what's up. Big things happen in the world, and, and cars and mobility have made it possible for us to go places, and churches have gotten bigger. And so the question is, how can a church be a place that cares for people deeply? And the answer is... How do we make church smaller again? I don't think we can hire a hundred pastors to serve this congregation ten at a time. But we can care for each other. Church groups are where you feel important. These are people who know your name, they know your story, and they know your life. In Acts, they knew all about this. Here's what it says in the scripture in Acts. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple, They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all of the people. They knew they needed to care together, so they met, and they cared for one another. My guess is not everybody knew everybody, but they knew people. They showed up. And some of you have people like that in this church. You show up and you're going, I'm looking for them. But the best part about this is, is you can create a place where it's maybe not such hustle and bustle and you don't have to figure out how to get your kid out of Kids Connect in another place, but you can sit down and have that real conversation. Um, I would love for the lobby to be the place where you shared your deepest, darkest secrets, but I don't think it's the best place for that. The best place for people to, for you to lean on and to lean on you is not in a church lobby. It's in a living room. A place where you can connect with other people. We believe connect groups. Groups, smaller groups, are a place where you can feel important because people can know you and they can show up when you need it. That leads us to the second one. And here's here's the second thing that's important. You need a group because groups care for each other. Here's the thing. This is a big place that I'd love to have a huge ministry where we delivered meals and showed up. But the reality is is that you're going to be in and out and moving from different places and figuring things out, and you're going to be busy. And I can't just go to the hospital and figure out who's in the hospital. HIPAA laws don't allow me to do that. Uh, Last week, I couldn't even pay the bill for my oldest who um, needs a bill paid because I wasn't him, and they needed him to call and confirm some details that were going on. But when you have a group of six or eight or ten people who can show up and care for you, they know what's going on in your life. They're the people who you send that text message to, and they, you say, man, my kid's really struggling. Could you pray for them? They're the people who care deeply. They're the people who step in over and over again. Groups care for each other in their time of need, and that is what church is supposed to do. They show up when needed, with meals, to listen, to help, because the reality is is life is going to happen. You see, a good group looks like this. Here's what it says in First Peter. Finally, all of you have unity of the Spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And this is an easy thing to do when you know somebody's story, when you care about them deeply, when you want to show up for them over and over and over again, because life is going to happen but Peter gives us a vision of what the church can look like, and especially what the church can look like when it's a handful of people who care for one another. Even Jesus knew about groups. And here's the thing. This church, our main focus is on knowing God, growing together, and reaching out with the love of Christ. And so often we're asking this question, how did Jesus reach out with this love? How did he show up? What were his methods in order to do things? Here's what it says in the beginning of our reading today. Now during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose twelve of them, whom he named the apostles. This may be a a fact you've missed as you've read the Bible a few times. Maybe nobody pointed this out to you. Jesus doesn't have twelve followers. Jesus has lots of followers— There's this whole crowd who follows him around, and everywhere he goes, they look like, they look like this big party that's following him, and they've got tents, and they're hanging out, and they're following him all over the place, and they want to hear him teach, and some people come for one or two or three tour stops, and some people are like the people who follow Van Halen everywhere, and they're going to every tour stop, because that's what they're going to do, I don't know. But Jesus has got this concert party going all year long over the course of three years, And at one point in time, he stops and he goes, you, 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 and you, come with me. You're going to be the close ones. Now, fairness says, what about me? Why didn't he call everybody? Because he knew that if he was going to pour into a group of people, it couldn't be 400 It couldn't be 144. It couldn't be 72. He had to narrow this group down. And even among the 12, there's three who tell all the stories. They seem to be the ones that when he's going to go do the big thing, he's like, Peter, James, and John, why don't you come with me? Everybody else hang out and have a nap on the mountain. And away they go. Because he knows that he needs to shrink this group so that he can pour his life into a few people, so they can care for each other, so it can be manageable. We're not meant to be made in groups of 400. It's great because you all can come and we can do this all together at once, but the beauty is, is where the processing happens, happens in your group. I loved Kickoff Sunday. I love doing this. This has kind of been my baby for the last six, eight months. I've been really excited to do this, and I think people have rolled their eyes at me as I was like, we're gonna tailgate and have fun. But part of it is because sometimes— We need to be reminded of what's happening. And sometimes we have a tendency to look like the picture that Phil's going to put up for us. We're all dressed the same. The beauty of being on a team, you're all dressed the same. You all look the same. This group that we have formed, they're all going to go the same direction. But sometimes when we're all dressed the same and we're all kind of the same, we all look like the guys in the picture. Because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not doing what they were made to do. They are sitting on the bench. When I look at you on Sunday mornings, I want you to hear this reality. What I look at looks a lot like benches. And benches are good. They're good for game plans. They're good for motivational speeches. They're good for figuring out, okay, what is it that we are going to do? They're good for getting a plan together. But please know this, you're not intended for the bench. God didn't make you for the bench. The third reason you need a group is this. You need a group because groups help you get in the game. It's great. I, when you come to hear this, I offer my very best every Sunday to try to be helpful to you, to be encouraging to you, to let you hear that God loves you and nothing in the world can change that. And we're going to spend the next five weeks digging so deep into that and I want you to hear that so deeply. But for the most part, what you hear on Sunday kind of goes. Unless it becomes something that you process during the week, something that you talk about, in the car on the way home, at the dinner table on Monday night, in a, in a place where you can show up and say, I heard this and I challenged, I, I don't know how to do it. You need people in your life who you can say, I feel like I want to learn to read the Bible, but I have no earthly idea. And people who can come alongside you and say, I've been there, let me help. You can say, I think God is calling me to serve. And people who can say, I'm with you. I want to be a part of what's going on. See, this place is for Training. But the action doesn't happen in this room. God's work only happens a little bit here. It happens in schools and churches—in schools and in restaurants, and while you're out on a walk, and as you're caring for people at home, and at your workplace, and all the other places you go. And groups become that place where you activate one another. You see, God has a word for all of us. But there are ways in which we need to hear that in a relationship with somebody who we can trust, somebody who can support us, somebody who can encourage us, and somebody who can get us in the game. Let me pray with you this morning. God, we give thanks that here in this place that you meet us with your good news. We pray that uh, as we get connected to one another that you would meet us with your hope and life and joy, that you would encourage us through the challenging words of another person, that you would remind us that you love us and you have work for us to do. We pray that you would build your kingdom in this place, in this community, and throughout your world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.